this is Van Jensen, writer of Green Lantern Corps and The Flash, and you are listening to Back in a Flash. Hello, Flash fanatics, and welcome to Back in a Flash. We're your hosts, Steve and Meg, and this podcast will be talking about all things The Flash, past, present, and future. And those times are relative to the Speed Force, so who knows? So, as you just heard in the intro, later in the show we're going to have a very special guest interview with Van Jensen, so stick around for that. But before we get to the interview, let's talk about the super sick trailer that's got the entire interwebs buzz. Welcome back, you guys. Let's go ahead and start off with some news right off the top of the show here. The first thing, the big thing we want to talk about is the trailer that we got. We had a whole five and a half minute trailer. Yeah. How many times have you watched it? Oh, boy. Uh, probably 20 something. I think you? I think I probably actually surpassed that. I watched it and rewatched <laughs> it. I would say close to 40 times. I, I had it on repeat for a while <laughs> yeah. yesterday. But it is a five and a half minute trailer. So even with it on repeat, you only you only get through it, what, like 12 times in an hour? Right. Not even. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's... I spent a while watching it. It was fun. It was great. Uh, I love all the things that they put in there. So in the teaser trailer that aired with the finale of Arrow, we saw... The, we saw Arrow and The Flash together for the first time. Yes. Right. Which is awesome. And You're really excited about I am. This. I love. Well, first of all, I love the Arrow. I love Stephen Amell. I think that he's just awesome. And I love the way that he portrays the Arrow as well because I just he just does a great job of it. So he's like standing there with his little compound bow or whatever he calls it. I'm not really, really even sure because <laughs> I'm not into archery, so I don't know. Right. But um, he uh, shoots the Arrow and, you know, the Flash the catches Flash it. The Flash comes speeding in. Yeah. Flies past the arrow, spins around, and catches it. Like, no it's problem. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Show off. I so, love it. It's so awesome. So, Arrow was in that. Stephen Amell was in the teaser. And then he was also in the full-length trailer. And yeah. that was the reveal that he's going to be in the Flash pilot as well. Because all the footage in the trailer is from the Flash pilot. Oh, right on. So, he's going to be in the pilot. Yes. That's cool. I really like how they are just, I mean... Setting us up so that both of those, you know, the Arrow and the Flash, I cannot wait for them to just constantly, like, be hanging out with each other or, like, right. running into each other, talking to each other. I mean, because mm-hmm. the Arrow's been kind of around for a little while, and he doesn't necessarily have this whole, like, superhero or, you know, thing on lock or whatever. Right. But he has some experience at it. So right. I think he's going to be an excellent mentor for the Flash in his series. I just think... It's going to be awesome. Well, and we've already seen some of that mentoring take place. Yeah. Like, he, he's the one that gave the idea for the name, The Flash. Yeah. Which is pretty fun. That's cool. And I'm also excited about the fact that, you know, the, uh, the producers of Arrow, when The Flash got the official pickup, uh, they, they did a couple interviews and they talked about how through this season, like the, the Mirakuru plotline and introducing superpowers to Arrow was something that they really did primarily with the intent of introducing the Flash. And now that that's happening, they're going to go back to the show's roots and have it be a a non-powered show. Really? From my understanding. Arrow is going to be almost entirely, with maybe some slight exceptions, Right. it's going to be a non-powered show. 
Well, because that that portion of the DC universe is, is sort of powerless, right? I mean, that portion, like the, the, arrow, the green arrow. Yeah, portion. the green arrow portion. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, for the most for part, the most I part. would tend to agree. But more importantly, I think that was kind of the show's original hook. Like when Arrow started airing uh, a couple years ago, their main hook was this is a superhero show without any superpowers. Oh, I didn't know that they outlined that yeah. ahead of time. Yeah, there were no superpowers. I mean, I know him. everybody loves the Arrow um, because he is right. uh, just a regular guy. No, just... he has a super. <laughs> I guess he's not a regular guy because not anybody regular that I know can do the things that he does. But, right. um, you know, he doesn't have any superpowers. And right. I know that's why a lot of people love him. And that's why I love him is because it gives us mere mortals hope that we could do more (laughs) in the world right yeah no it's really it's really cool so i'm glad that they're kind of going back to the right the roots right no that'll be fun and now that they've got the flash i mean the flash clearly from the pilot they aren't holding back on superpowers at all like we've got the flash we've got weather wizard we've got our little nod to reverse flash being in there uh, there's there's plenty of superpower They're stuff happening. They're not scrimping happening. on the superpowers, that's for Plus, sure. Plus, we had Harrison Wells talking about investigating other metahumans. Like, there are very obviously going to be lots of superpowered characters in The Flash. Yeah. So, if you want superpowers, The Flash is your show. If you don't, Arrow is your show. Or and, you can just And you can watch, watch both. both if you want, <laughs> right? because they're both going to be great shows. Yeah. Uh, and, so and, yeah, I know I'm super pumped. I can't wait. Okay, so I have a few questions about it because sure. um, I was kind of curious about a few things. I mean, that's why I watched it like repeatedly because right. I was obsessed with all of these little minor details that I was noticing in there. Um, first of all, what's with like the floating liquid? We see it um, w- uh, when we saw in- it in Arrow. Yes, we saw it in Arrow, and then yeah. we also see it when he gets struck by lightning, and also when he's a kid, and there's like the uh, right, you know, stuff happening in his house with his mom and stuff like that. Um, what's it, obviously that is an important part <laughs> of this whole storyline. So what's it, going on with yeah. liquid? I mean, I don't know of any real like specific significance to it. I think it's just to indicate that there's something like mystical or extra normal. It's sort uh, of it's sort of representative of like the speed force or something. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Just that there's something not normal something outside of our normal like laws of physics yeah happening and, okay that and makes sense yeah i don't think that it's anything necessarily specific they may try and say like oh this is a a byproduct of the speed force i don't know uh that could be a possibility but i don't necessarily think that it's anything to read into too heavily i don't know they've they've used it s- several times they so have. i feel like it is something that is that's going to show up over and over again and it's going to end up having some some significance i feel that could very well be i'm i'm not 100 percent sure it'll be interesting yeah uh so what else what else did we see in it uh, a bunch of different stuff well in that same scene we saw our our first look at the instance when barry is young we saw uh him all of a sudden being pulled out 20 blocks from his house, like he talked about in Arrow when his mother was killed. Mm -hmm. And he was all of a sudden 20 blocks away. 
Uh, and we also got a couple glimpses of uh, who other, who certain people were playing. Specifically, we saw that John Wesley Shipp is playing Barry Allen's father. Yeah. For sure. He's not playing John or Jay Garrick. Yeah. He's playing Barry Allen's father. Uh, so that's fun and cool, and he'll, he'll be a, a recurring guest, I think. is I don't think he's a series regular, but he's well, a no, recurring guest. Well, no, because his dad's in jail, isn't he? Or right. Something, I mean, so I can't imagine that he's going to be on the show all the time. Right, but he could go visit him, you know, sure. semi, semi-regularly. Yeah. I doubt that he'll be visiting him in every episode. He doesn't have time for that. He's busy fighting nobody crime. nobody got time for that. That's right. <laughs> he's busy fighting crime and, you know. Right. Doing, doing all sides. Doing good. I guess he does have all kinds of time, though, really, because he's the Flash. Right. So, right. Uh, who knows? We'll see how it, how it plays out. Yeah. It'll be good. But there were a couple. Uh, let's talk about the special effects in the trailer. Yeah. I really, really am impressed by how well they did the Flash, like the motion blur and yeah. all of the effects with that. Because that could have turned out really cheesy or mm-hmm. really just awful. But, man, it is so cool. They nailed it, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I was really, like, after watching Smallville, I was just expecting to see the blur like they used in Smallville, where they just had, like, a blur of color. Mm-hmm. And that was all that was showing just, How like, boring, motion. though. I mean, it was fine. I mean, I guess maybe for Smallville, had... where he wasn't the, the star, that's perfectly okay. Right. But... Right. They really needed to amp it up. They did. And and they did amp it up. Yeah. And the like lightning trail behind him looks really cool. Um Yeah, I'm really impressed with it. There's some of the shots where uh where it goes to a f- just where the camera is positioned in front of him as he's running. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of made me feel like uh it was a throwback to the old Flash series where they'd show him from the front running and that was like that was the shtick of how they'd show the Flash running in the series. Right on. And and we've seen it, like, in Big Bang Theory. They did a little nod to that. Yeah. And they had Sheldon in the costume, and he ran off and did his thing, and it was all from the front. Yeah. And they just showed all the background moving, and he's... It's <laughs> it's a little goofy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they mixed it up really right. good. They had... Uh, that type of shot, and then they had from the side, and then they had a wide shot where you could see the trail. Yeah. Yeah, they did a really good job. That was probably the most surprising thing to me is how large of a variety of special effects they used to show the Flash Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was really expecting, like, they'd have one one special effect that they spent a lot of time and made really look good. And just reuse it over and over because it makes it a lot easier from a technical standpoint to do that. Sure. Uh, but they had a pretty wide variety of ways to show the speed, which was impressive. I was really pleased with it. Absolutely. I was too. Yeah, I thought that it was really cool that they um, just did it in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so the detective um, that is, let's see, what is his name? Joe, Joe West. Joe West. Yeah, Iris's dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I didn't think about it until I saw him in the trailer, but, um, he was on Law and Order. Yeah. Yeah. I realized that afterwards too. He's on like, he's one of the main cast members in Law and Order. I guess I haven't really watched Law and Order. I haven't either. Uh, I mean, other, I've seen it on TV obviously because it's always on, but, um, no, I, I just, 
happened to I was like wait a minute I've seen that guy somewhere before (laughs) and um so I thought that was kind of cool that they are because that's a different um demographic really that they're I guess that the CW wouldn't necessarily target but they're probably going to get some followers from Law and Order because they're going to want to see him in a different role as well yeah that's definitely a possibility uh and he's a good actor he is I mean I've seen him on Law and Order a couple of times and I really like the way you know, he acts and uh, mm-hmm. everything. So that's going to be exciting as well. What did you think of the first villain? We saw our first villain for the Flash series. We got the Weather Wizard coming up right out right out of the gate. And he doesn't have his, uh, he doesn't have the wand. He doesn't have the weather wand. Uh, yeah, he didn't even really have a costume. He was just plain clothed. Right. And that was kind of one of those things that you and I discussed previously about mm-hmm whether or not we thought these villains were going to be in costume or plain clothed. And obviously they're starting out with plain clothed ones, but right. um, I'm kind of secretly hoping that we see a costume. Well, one thing, a smaller Easter egg that, uh, you know, because Arrow, Arrow loves its Easter eggs and it's a lot of the same producers and crew and whatnot on right. Flash. Uh, Jeff Johns and Andrew Kreisberg, the two of the producers for The Flash, tweeted a picture a couple weeks ago of a van that was labeled Gamby Cleaners, Gamby Dry Cleaners. And we saw it in the trailer, too. When when Flash first took off uh, and wasn't really in control of his speed, he went right into the back of a van. Yeah. And, and it was a blink and you miss it, you know, their tagline, don't blink. Right. But if you look really close, that van that he ran into the back of is Gamby Cleaners. And Gamby is this really small comic book character. I, I had to look him up. I didn't know him at all. But he used to be the tailor for the rogues, for the Flash's main group of villains. So maybe, maybe, you know, Gamby exists in this universe. Maybe sometime down the road, you know, you get a few of your villains introduced without the wild costumes. uh, And then they meet Gamby and he gives them costumes. And he hooks them up with some some sweet gear. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that the... The Weather Wizard was kind of a cool um, villain to start out on. Yeah. Honestly. Definitely. And Chad Rook looked really good doing it. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he has played all kinds of villains previously in a lot of different things. So I think he's kind of uh, got it nailed. Like, he's got it down pat. Yeah. He's His, got it figured out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the other Easter eggs. There were a couple other that I thought were worth mentioning. Like what? One of them was at the... Uh, the airport landing strip where Barry was testing out his speed, where they had the speed gun on him and they were measuring, and it was like 703 miles per hour. Just right? starting out, right? Right. Yeah. First, first time out on the track. Uh, but when the camera moved down to that, it says or moved Ferris up to Air. It, yep, it's Ferris Air. Yeah. And do you know anything about Ferris? Um, I don't, other than. Um... No, you can go ahead and explain it. All right. Because I, right. I probably wouldn't do it justice. <laughs> so so Ferris is Carol Ferris, and Carol Ferris is Hal Jordan's girlfriend or romantic interest in the comics, and Hal Jordan is Green Lantern. Right. Um, I so knew there was a Green Lantern tie-in on that, right. but I, yeah. Right. And, I mean, Jeff Johns, Jeff Johns is the person that wrote this episode, the pilot episode. He wrote the script for it. Uh, and he's one of the executive producers for the show. And he's, for the past, uh, what, 10 years, 
He's made his living writing Green Lantern and Flash comics. That's been his bread and butter. Right. Now he's writing Justice League, and uh, he'll be writing Superman here soon as well, the comics. But that wow. those characters, Flash and Green Lantern, are his characters. They're his babies. Yeah. And so having a little Green Lantern Easter egg in the pilot for the Flash I'm sure show that just tickled him. Is pretty fun. Yeah. I'm sure he was excited to do that. Absolutely. What other Easter eggs did you see? Oh, there was one other one. What was it? Uh, oh, Keystone Keystone City was mentioned. So we know that the Flash's main base of operations in this show is Central City, mm-hmm. right? Central City is actually one of two cities. It's Central and Keystone City, and Flash operates within both of them. Uh, oh. And there's actually, in, in one of the comics, there's a two-page spread, and it shows both of the cities right next to each other. Central City on one side of a river and Keystone City on the other side of the river, and they're labeled as being in Missouri. So, oh, they're Kansas City. Yeah. More or less. They're Kansas City. How cool. Yeah, it's kind of fun. That's awesome. Oh, what's with... Okay, so what, what's the guy in the wheelchair's name again? Tom Cavanaugh, or his, that's the actor's name. Uh, his character is Harrison Wells. Harrison Wells. Okay, yes. so he like wheels up to a wall and puts his hand over it, and right. like this secret. Yeah, there was something happening it's like there. She was, had like a that was another. Cave. That was another blink and you'll miss it thing. Yeah. Where he the the wall opened up and there was something there. So he's got some secrets. He's like... got some sort of secrets, and and this could be any number of things. It could be secret research that he's doing. I mean, that would be my guess because he's. You know, in the character description, he was described as a rock star physicist. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. A rock star physicist. Watch out physicist. now. I mean. <laughs> you can't get uh, any cooler than that. So I suppose the closest thing you got is like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Right. Right. That's the closest. Uh, Basically. Real life approximation of Harrison Wells. Yeah. Either Neil deGrasse Tyson or Bill Nye the Science Guy. Right. <laughs> Which are both amazing. They are. They yeah. are. Um, so you yeah, think that he has know. like a he's, secret lab he's got that he's something going on? I don't know what it is. Yeah, maybe he's actually Batman, oh, and that's his Batcave. That would be so awesome. <laughs> no, no. But I can't wait to see what he's got in there, though, because yeah. it's gonna be. I mean, it's gotta be awesome. It's, it's gonna be off the hook. <laughs> I can't. I can't even. You said off the hook. Off the hook. Okay. All right, well, that's enough talk about the trailer, don't you think? Oh, yeah, I think it's definitely time to um, get into the coolest interview ever. Our first interview yes. with with the writer of the new Flash series, a Nebraska native, awesome. U- UNL alum. Awesome. We're super excited to yes. talk with them, Van Jensen. Thanks for joining us. Would you mind getting us started with some info about your new run on The Flash? Yeah, so, um, you know, issue 30 and annual number three really kicked off our run. And and the, the premise, of course, being that 20 years into the future, Flash is a very changed, very broken, very desperate uh, version of himself. And, and there's this mystery inherent to that uh, because, you know, we all know that Barry Allen is this great guy and um, is sort of pure and, and incorruptible. And so 
that's the mystery is what, what was it that corrupted Barry Allen, which uh, we're going to slowly reveal. Um, so this flash from the future is headed back towards the present to, um, to fix what is broken and to, uh, to actually kill himself. Um, so we're gearing up towards that confrontation and we're going to see, you know, more and more of the future as future flash works back towards the present. And then at the same time in the present, Barry is continuing to deal with the fallout from Forever Evil, which saw much of Central City destroyed. And there are a, uh, there are a few sort of forgotten rogues who uh, seem to be on the loose uh, in the city, causing a lot of damage. And so it's kind of a, a cool like mix of, of big sci-fi action with crime procedural um, and, you know, Brett Booth on art and Norm Rappin on pencils and Andrew Dollhouse on colors. They're all just doing really, I mean, just stunning work. It's, uh, you know, every few days I'll get art from them in my inbox. And uh, I mean, that's, that's like the best part of writing comics is, is seeing it come to life when the, the artists uh, finish their work. It's, I, you know, that's like the, the most magical point of it, for sure. One thing that we're interested in, because it relates to the TV show as well, is the Wally West race change. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about like how that came to be and what forces went into that? Yeah, so that was uh, something that came to us, to Rob and I from D.C., and we had already started working on the book and had an outline for the story. And, you know, basically the, the note that, that came through um, was just that we want to reintroduce Wally West. Um, he's, he should be 12 years old and biracial. Um, so beyond that, you know, we had, had latitude. Um, but, you know, for, for Rob and I, um, I think just the, the way that we approach comics is that, you know, this is a, a work for hire job. Like you're, you know, this, these aren't our characters. And so we should expect to get notes like that. I know some, some creators have kind of complained about, about that sort of thing, but like, that's the creative challenge of writing superhero comics for a company like DC is, you know, they own the property. They know what they want to do with the property. And for good reason, they'll give you guidance on, on what you do. So um, with us, you know, once, once that came in, um, rather than look at it as a challenge, we looked at it as a, a opportunity to do something a little bit new and different with the story. And really, the story is a lot stronger for having Wally in it. He's a fun character. I mean, I grew up, you know, as a fan of, of Wally West as the Flash. And, you know, to introduce him into the new 52 is a, a really huge thing, not something that I in any way ever thought that I would be doing. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's been really fun, and we're really excited to see where that goes. Uh, there's a little bit of concern from some people that I've been reading online uh, that the first introduction of Wally West was him tagging this building and saying, like, he's involved in criminal activity right away and concerned that Barry is going to step in and be this father figure. Can you shed any light on that? Yeah, so the relationship between Barry and Wally first um, 
you know, they have a really similar backstory actually, because, you know, Barry, um, his family life was upended by, um, you know, the death of his mother and his dad being convicted of her murder and being sent to prison. And so the reason that Barry turned out the way that he did is only because he had um, Fry, the uh, the captain now um, at the police department, to, you know, to be sort of a, a good role model for him. And without that, you know, presumably Barry could have turned out um, very troubled. And so Wally has had a very similar experience where, you know, his parents are gone and his role model was his uncle Daniel, who we all know became reverse flash. And, and so he, he's essentially the same as Barry, just without that role model in his life. And so Barry sees this as an opportunity to kind of pay it forward by helping out a kid in the way that, that he was helped. Um, you know, in terms of, of changing Wally, um, you know, I know that people are upset about it and, and I can understand that because fans grow very attached to these characters. And the thing that I would say is the new 52, you know, this was a complete new starting point for all of the characters. Like this is a new Barry Allen. It's a new Iris West. It's a new Daniel West. Uh, it's a new Wally West. All of these characters are new and all of them, you know, their backstory has changed. Everything has changed. And we aren't just repeating the same stories over and over again. Um, and, you know, those those old stories, they're, they still exist. Like, it's all still there. It's still great stuff that, you know, you can pull the, the books off the shelf and read them. And this is just, uh, you know, something, something new that we're doing. And, um, you know, to DC's credit, they've used this fresh start with the new 52 to really, um, you know, focus on the, the diversity of the characters within the line so that it reflects, you know, the, the society and the culture that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think we both are really on board with uh, diversifying that lineup and making it reflect the world that we live in more accurately. So that's great. Yeah, and just as you said, I mean, as these stories are all brand new, I mean, if you wanted to read the same story again, like you said, you could just go get it off the shelf. Like, I appreciate that these are all brand new stories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, like, nothing to, I mean, those old stories are great. And like, I know yeah, they're I, excellent, but yeah, yeah, it's just, I, you know, I like to go back and reread those, but for me to essentially write a cover version of an old story, like on a creative level, that's just not, not, compelling. <laughs> not doing it for you. Right. <laughs> um, so how, um, how do you guys divvy up who writes what for the flash? Um, we really just go through and um, plot out the story together and we figure out, you know, what's going to be on what page and you kind of divide into scenes and then you, you know, you just, you do it enough that it, you start to see like, okay, this is three pages, this is two pages, this is five pages. So you break down the issue like that page by page and then we Typically, we just say, okay, here's 10 pages that I'll do, here's 10 pages that I'll do, and we each write our pages, then we combine the issue, and we look at each other's sections, and we edit back and forth a couple of times before we send it in. Very cool. Uh, and, and how detailed do you get in, like, art instructions that go to Brett? 
Um, it's a mix. Like sometimes it'll be more detailed and sometimes less. It, you know, you, you don't want to like, like artists bring their own thing to the book. And so you want them to feel like they have some creative space to play with it. So you can definitely go too far in detailing stuff, but then you can also, you know, leave out vital information. So it's, I, I, it's mostly like you want to make sure this is the stuff that's there. This is what's happening. But in terms of like, you know, showing it from this exact angle and all of that, like the directorial shot calling, mm -hmm. um, I don't do too much of. Yeah. How long have you and, um, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to butcher his last name, but Robert Vendetti? No, that's exactly how you say it. How well, long have you guys been um, working together? Um, well, so we've only worked directly together uh, when I started Green Lantern Course like a year ago, but we've known each other for, gosh, uh, seven or eight years now. Awesome. I just think it's really neat how um, you guys managed to keep the same voice throughout your comic books that you guys are. I mean, there's two different writers. You would expect to see a little bit of uh, difference between when you guys write different pages. Like maybe it doesn't sound exactly the same, but it's it's totally, you know, fluid. I, I appreciate that. I mean, we um, we've actually had instances where our editors don't even know who wrote what because we don't, <laughs> you know, we don't put our, our names on each page. And it's really just, I mean, I think the two of us have just known each other for so long and we have a really similar writing aesthetic. So, um, you know, it makes sense for, for there to be a lot of um, similarity in our style. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. Speaking of Patty um, and the Flash's romantic interests, how do you guys decide who he's going to be romantically involved with? Uh, I mean, there are a lot of conversations that go into really every aspect of the character, and it's you know our editor Brian Cunningham, and, and as well as uh, Amadeo Torturo, the the uh, assistant editor. Um, we all you know sit down and. And sometimes in person, sometimes over phone or over the email, over email, and um, you know, we just we we talk through like this is where the character is, this is where he's going. We talk through the character arcs for for everyone, mm -hmm. and um, you know, love interest. Those conversations are are a pretty central part of it. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot lately is Iris West and. Um, not to, you know, tease anything to, to lead you <laughs> on. Tease right? away. Um, but, you know, one of the things for me personally that is really cool about writing Iris is that she's a crime reporter, which is, you know, this job that, that I used to have. So it's, it's a world that, that I know very well. And the thing that I hadn't realized, I mean, it, it's been, you know, like, seven, eight years since I worked at a newspaper. And um, I, I didn't really think that I still was like working through anything in that regard. But um, I mean, being a crime reporter is a really emotionally taxing thing because you, 
like in a way you are profiting off of the misfortune of others. Like the worst day for someone else is your best day because you're going to get a story that's on the front page. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's actually a really, it's a tough thing. Um, right. I you know, it's a little disparaging. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, some of the stuff that we're, we're writing going forward, um, it's allowed me to uh, to reflect on that and to kind of you know look back at that that time period and uh, you know it's both like stuff that I'm proud of and stuff that I'm not proud of and um, and it's it's I guess good you know it's been good for me in a way to be able to, to do that. So it's kind of um, a, a good experience for you to be able to write Iris in the best way. Yeah, I mean, I I really I love the character. Um, you know, she's she's an integral part of the book. She has a, a really unique character that I, I think there's a way of kind of like painting her with a, a wide brush that um, you know you could make her sound like she's the same as you know Lois Lane or Vicki Vale, but all all of them really have distinct characters, and so. Um, to be able to, to really bring that to the forefront with, um, with Iris is a, a cool thing. That's great. I, I always get a little concerned when they become just this amalgamation, and it's good to see the individual characters of these uh, secondary characters in the stories. That's really awesome. And, yeah. and hopefully with your background, you're able to bring some authenticity to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly trying, and really, with with anything, um, you know, with writing, it's just a matter of of sitting down and and talking through stuff and doing the work to you know to flesh out who the characters are, and the more work that you put in on that, and in just you know fleshing out their story and kind of taking different ideas wherever it leads you, that's when you you know you really start to to get a, a very, a very uh, realistic character coming through on the page. Yeah, right. well-rounded and real. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk. You said that you see writing comics for DC as a work for hire position, and are you? I don't know if you're comfortable talking about the the issues surrounding you coming in to write Green Lantern Corps. I am always comfortable talking about whatever, but I always offer the caveat that, you know, I can only talk about my own perspective and things. And so I'm not going to, you know, talk about assumptions or stuff that I, I don't know. And certainly that was a situation in which there was um, a lot of conversation online. Yeah. So what, uh, I guess what I had heard online, what I had read, and I don't know how true this is or what but from your perspective uh what we had heard was that there was an intention to kill off john stewart the main green lantern in your green lantern Corps run and they decided to recant that decision is that something you can talk about or no yeah um so you know all of my experience with that was i came in on the book and Again, like all I can speak to is is my own experience, but there was never any intention from the moment that I that 
DC talked to me about coming out of the book, there was never any tension, intention to kill Jon Stewart. Um, it was kind of bizarre to be, I mean, I was literally, you know, writing out the future of Green Lantern Corps as focused at, on Jon Stewart as the main character while people were talking about how I was going to kill Jon Stewart. Uh, and, and literally not a single person ever came to me and asked, are you going to kill Jon Stewart? Uh, so, you know, it was just a very, and I, I had come, you know, I had been a journalist, so I had come from the other side and it was kind of frustrating just in that, um, you know, the key part of journalism is asking people questions and finding out information. And that wasn't, that wasn't exactly going on. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely um, you know an interesting experience coming into the to the book. It was, I mean, I I was really grateful for the opportunity, um, and I you know I had a pretty quick turnaround um, going from being hired to actually putting out issues. I I kind of started behind schedule and had to race to catch up, and so. Um, it was a very, you know, trial by fire experience and I had never written a single issue of a comic before and, you know, all of a sudden I was being handed this very, uh, prestigious assignment. So, um, you know, it was, handled it well. Well, I, I appreciate it. I mean, a lot, a lot of credit to, to Rob who, um, co-plotted with me at the start and, uh, Bernard Chang, the artist, Marcello Maiolo, the colorist, um, the editors. I mean, everyone gave me a lot of help going into it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out, but I, I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm only a year into this, so I'm still learning every issue. Absolutely. Oh yeah, definitely. So can we talk about a little bit, um, prior to you writing for comic books? I mean, what what did you do and what what drove you to decide, or I guess what made you decide that you were gonna be a comic book writer? The, the interesting comic books, um, so that actually goes back to, I mean, when I was like four or five and started reading them. Um, I had a cousin who, he would come back to visit in you know our hometown of Western Nebraska, and he would bring giant piles of comic books, and and actually Green Lantern Corps and The Flash were his two favorite books, strangely enough. Um, and also Firestorm was the other one. So he's he told me that like okay, you have to write Firestorm at some point so that you can knock all three out. Right. So that's I mean that's next, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> that's um, on your to-do list. Got it. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I actually, uh, my mom's a, a painter and I really wanted to be an artist and I wanted to draw comic books. And so that, that was like all I did was draw comics and I still have these, you know, piles of art that I did as a kid. And I just, I never, I mean, being in Western Nebraska, I didn't really know that the comics industry existed. Like I had, there was nothing in my life to connect with comic books in a way that made it real. Like it never, it never crossed that boundary to be like, oh, this is a thing that you can actually do with your life. It seemed like, you know, it was like I may as well have aspired to be Santa Claus, right? Right. <laughs> you know, it was like Christmas gifts show up. Like I get it. There's some some way that, that happens. But like you know, comic books get made out of their elves in a factory somewhere. <laughs> um, 
and and so I I had been interested in writing and um, I liked sports so I literally just like shoved those two words together and said oh I can be a sports writer um, <laughs> so that led me to UNL um, to the journalism program there and I was a sports writer and sports editor and editor of the college paper um, and then from there I went to Little Rock Arkansas. Um, where I, I had interned initially um, and then came back full time to do crime reporting. Um, so that was a lot of like, the, the way that I always explain it is first thing in the morning, call the coroner, ask who got murdered overnight. Second thing, pick up the police scanner and wait for the next person to get murdered. Wow. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. super exciting. Yeah. It was, uh, in Little Rock, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it, but Little Rock is a pretty intense place. Um, I think there was, it was like the second most homicides in the city's history happened during my run there. It was, it was just crazy. Wow. Uh, so how did, how did you get DC's attention? How did you get that job? Yeah, so... Um, at Little Rock at the newspaper, I started, well, I was working with um, this illustrator at the newspaper, Dusty Higgins, and we both liked comics, and I had gotten back into reading them at that point, and we would talk about comics on occasion, and um, he did a, a little kind of throwaway sketch one day of this sort of bad Pinocchio who had lied and his nose shot out and stabbed through a vampire. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he showed it to me and I looked at it and was like, oh, that's funny. And then I totally <laughs> forgot about it. Like I would never have thought about it again. And I actually, uh, my wife and I moved away, uh, moved to Atlanta and I mean, it might've been like a year after we moved that Dusty called me and called me totally out of the blue and said, Hey, you know, that Pinocchio killing vampires thing. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, you want to make a book out of it. So, Absolutely. Why yeah, wouldn't I, you? I Honestly, I was kind of worried. I think I was a little more pretentious as a writer at that point. I was like, is this just going to like make me look like a lowbrow writer? And <laughs> thankfully, I wised up and realized that Dusty was an awesome artist and that it was a really cool idea. Um, so... We made the the first Pinocchio Vampire Slayer book and put it out. And it, you know, for a black and white book from new creators who never had published anything before, it sold really well and it kind of took off in this big way. Awesome. Uh, and, you know, we had no idea that that was going to happen. And so at that point, I started to realize, like, oh, maybe there's a, a career in comic books. So we kept doing those books and I started to go to conventions and, you know, meet different people. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of near misses along the way where I, you know, I almost got a job here or there and I was still really busy um, working on a magazine at that point. And, and I, I got to a point where I didn't think that I was going to be able to make it in comics. It just, it didn't seem like the, you know, the stars were going to align. And then I actually had a conversation with Rob. It was like a year and a half ago. And I, I told him, you know, I think maybe I should just hang him up. Like, I, I don't think this is going to happen. 
And then it was like six months later, I'm in the door at DC writing Green Lantern Corps. And then, you know, less than a year after that, I'm writing Green Lantern Corps and co-writing The Flash. So I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to hard to fathom that that's where I am right now. But that's so cool. That's really awesome. And that you were able to come into DC in such a big role, too. Like, Green Lantern Corps had just ended this giant run with Pete Tomasi writing and Jeff Johns writing Green Lantern. And you and Robert Venditti took over those books. And you've done a really good job. Thanks. Uh, It's... Yeah, I mean, those those are shoes so huge that you can't even think about filling them, you know. We, yeah. We're just trying to, to do our best with the story, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a fun world to, to write in, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk briefly about some of your other projects. Uh, as I understand, there's a bit of news regarding Pinocchio Vampire Slayer, the book that got you into the comic book industry. Uh, would you fill us in on that? Well, it is a it is a good time to check out Pinocchio Vampire Slayer because a um, so it was four graphic novels originally, and we're publishing an omnibus edition, which is five hundred uh, was it five hundred plus pages, um, maybe like five hundred thirty pages. Um, every every book that came out, um, and it's all one big adventure story, um, all based on the the uh, original Carlo Collodi version of Pinocchio, which is very, very different from the Disney version. Right. (laughs) A little darker and and weirder. Um, So that'll be out in June. I think it's available for pre-order now. Yeah, we'll make sure to include some links in our podcast's blog. So if listeners want to check out your projects, they can go to backinaflashfanatics.blogspot.com for those links. And Van, you've also got a Kickstarter project going for one of your more personal projects. Could you tell us a bit about that as well? The other thing, um, of course, is the leg, which I'm running the Kickstarter for that right now. It's, I mean, it's a weird thing. It actually was a, a history class at UNL that I first heard about it and started thinking about Santa Ana's leg and I mean, it's not like I'm ever going to make any money off that book or anything, but, you know, it's just kind of a a project that I thought was cool and have been chasing for, I don't know, like eight years to get it made. And what should supporters of that campaign expect? You know, that the way that I decided to approach it is I self-financed the, the book. You know, I paid for everything up front, the art, the coloring, the lettering. Um, the book is 100% done. And it's, I mean, really, you know, it's ready to ship to the printer as soon as the campaign ends. And I wanted to do that just because I wanted people, you know, to know that, like, all you're doing is helping us print this book. And if you pledge to support it, you know, you're going to get a book there, you know, erase as much doubt as possible from people's minds. So, you know, it ranges from you can get a a digital edition of the book for $8. Um, It's, you know, 180 page full color graphic novel. Um, You can get a print edition for $25. um, And then there's different, different other tiers to get different things. And one of the things we're really hoping that we can hit a, um, a stretch goal of, let's see, the initial goal is 10,000. 
So we have a stretch goal. If we hit 15,000, we're going to produce a Spanish language edition. Oh, you know? that would be so cool. Yeah, given that the book takes place in Mexico, yeah. and, you know, the artist Jose is from Mexico, um, it's just, it, it's something that we felt like it really makes sense. And there, there aren't very many comics available in Spanish. So, you know, we, we hope that people will support that and, and help us to get this book to as, as wide of an audience as possible. Thank you so much for talking with us. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Super excited to have you as the first guest. Thank well, you. I, I appreciate it. Anything I can do, you know, just give me a shout. Awesome. Thank you. And to our audience, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Just a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Flash Fanatics. And make sure you tune in for our next episode in two weeks. We'll be back in a flash. Mm-hmm.